Welcome to the Kick Pod, your weekly DNM on the stuff that matters. Welcome back. Welcome, and I'm here. I, I can't believe it. Look, yeah. we're in, we're having a tough time now because we thought, no, I mean, you're having a tough time, but I'm feeling you. Yeah. Because you thought you were going to go really early. early. I know. I did, I did what every <laughs> – so many women messaged me and they were like, you know what, don't – like, don't expect to go early, even if it's genetic, even if you just have a weird feeling, like – that's the worst thing to do because when you do go over, you'll, you'll just feel like it's even longer. And and I'm currently 39 weeks and, oh, I don't know, a couple of days. Three I'm about days. four days off my due date. So it's um it's getting close to me going over. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, I'm ready now. Can you what was out? my prediction? Um, I don't know. I'm looking at the I was over, there. I think. Yeah, you were over. I can't remember. But I think you were like a week. 29th. 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 Yeah, two days over. Days over. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Could be right. Could be right. But you thought mm. you would go four weeks early. I did. But you know what? It, it's, it's a good thing. Lucky for you guys, it means that I'm here for the first episode. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And don't worry, guys, I will be in the hospital room. If, you know, if it happens to be close to a Wednesday when Steph's in labour, maybe it's a live stream pod. I don't know, joking. Joking, that would be invasion of privacy. Oh, my gosh. Galore. <laughs> anyway, how are you? What have you been up to in the break? <laughs> It's not like it was like a holiday that, you know. No, no. I mean, I've kind of started. I, I've um, People kept asking me if I was going on mat leave. So I suppose I can explain on here. Um, I've technically gone on some sort of a leave <laughs> this week. Um, I I mean, you're still doing the podcast <laughs> right now, but sure. <laughs> but no, but it's fun. It's just chatting to you. Um, it's hard for me, like, because... I love work so much to step back. I mean, last week we got to move into our new office, which was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Kik has a new headquarters, which is awesome. And the office is amazing. So I got to spend a couple of days in there, which I was so excited about. But then I came down with a cold. Um, but it might have been my body saying, Please hey, stop. can you just like <laughs> chill at home? Um, so it forced me to work from home last week. And then, yeah, this week I've really only stepped in a few meetings. And then other than that, I've very much been loving the couch life and living that up and just trying to relax as much as possible and taking on all the advice from other Which mums. is fair enough because yeah. you are 39 weeks pregnant. <laughs> and I think as well it's hard running your own business. I think your mat leaves looks a lot different totally. to what, what other – you know, maybe 100%. though I want you to take mat leave because then I'm just going to turn Kimber Cleaner into a – Oh, what could I turn into? I was say, what would a you cartoon. Do I just can see a cartoon <laughs> above, and you'll come back and be like, "Whoa, I shouldn't have gone on that leave." No, just joking. But um, yeah, so now it's just a waiting game. Um, but how are you? I, I, you know what I'm loving? What? All your office attire. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I am. It's nice. Lots of items from the iconic. <laughs> uh, yes, I am very excited. So, if anyone doesn't know what Steph's talking about, I think you mean like my outfits at the yes. office. Yes. Oh, well, because you. I'm so used to seeing you in active, active wear, wear every single day, but Which now that we're back I'm wearing in the today because I'm working from home. Yeah. Today, and also yeah. we live close, so it came over for the podcast. Yeah. Um, but yes, I I just think that it's been so nice to have a purpose mm. to get dressed up, and mm. I also love. I much prefer winter fashion over summer yeah, fashion. Like I love coats and same. I bought a few things last year and I said that I just never, never wore. wore. So I'm like, mm. wow, I'm wearing it. <laughs> so thanks. It's great. <laughs> I'm making a reel, uh, but I'm not sure if it's going to work. Because sometimes I forget to 
recorded in the morning. Mm. So then I do a night one. That's and fine. then I'm like, I but people that do cool reels, like it's always at the same time, same angle. I don't think anyone's expecting lighting. it to be like super professional looking. True. <laughs> Come from me. Absolutely not. Anyway, what is your special share? My special share. Okay. So recently we put 50 new recipes. Oh, that's my app. special share too. But oh. we won't have the same one. I know what you, I, maybe Well, mine's not. actually not a new one. <laughs> I've actually... Oh, my God, outrageous. The team's going to be like, Steph, don't just joking. No, like there is so many extremely But good. I actually don't like any of them. No, I no, prefer no. an old one. The reason I'm bringing up an old one is it's just past Anzac Day. Like we oh, just had yes. Anzac Day. And the Anzac biscuits on our app are one of my favourite recipes yes. ever. And it always takes Anzac Day to come up to remind me that they exist. Yes. And then I make them for a couple of months. And then for some reason... I don't make them at any other time of the year, but they're literally so delicious. And as I said, one of my favorite recipes on the app. So I'm hoping that this time I remember that and I just continue to make them all year and not just around Anzac Day. But yeah, that's my special share. Love it. No, I, I that passes. Yeah. Through. <laughs> Thank you. Did you just spit on your mouth? I did. I just nice hot. Love it. Um, so you're no mine. Yeah. <laughs> well, funny you asked that. <laughs> mine is one of the new recipes. No, so mine is a combination. MasterChef's back. Mm-hmm. It is just the most wholesome, beautiful show. Mm-hmm. When you go from watching Maths, which I watch a little bit of, yeah. to that, I'm like, oh my god, yeah, why was I different. not filling uh-huh. my nights with this type of content? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm feeling inspired by MasterChef, mm-hmm. and then I thought, you know what? Let's do these new recipes but you know they're not hard so you don't really need to be inspired by a master chef to make any maki recipes so I've got two favorites the red curry with salmon which is yum yeah I saw that on your stories the other day and it looked delish really like if you want to impress someone yeah make that because I'll be like wow yeah are you going a master chef because maybe you should (laughs) and then the other one is the one pan maple chicken yes Mm -hmm. bake one pan baked maple chicken. Oh, mm. It literally takes five minutes mm. and it is so delicious. Five minutes put together, not to cook. Yeah, not to cook. Oh, my God. <laughs> do not cook your chicken for only five minutes. That is not what the recipe says. It takes 40 minutes in the oven. Mm. But it's one of those things that if you get home from work and then you just quickly chuck it in and then you do all the things you need to, like mm. get out of your office attire, get in your trackies, all those <laughs> things, and then you put it in, it's just – and then it's done. Nice. Hardly in dishes, just one pan. Mm. And the plates, obviously. Unless you eat off the plate. (laughs) Anyway, all those recipes are in the app. But we have got something else that we are so excited to talk about that has just launched. Steffi, take it away. Yes. Well, we haven't actually launched it into the app yet, but we have announced it to you guys. The announcement launch, sorry. Yes, Yes. the (laughs) announcement launch um, is Kickbub, of course, which I am personally so excited about. But the team has been working um, on this, you know, like into last year, most of last year. So it's very exciting for for this to come out. Um, And I suppose my own personal reason is because I started to follow the content towards the end of my pregnancy. And then I'm just so excited to also be able to get into (laughs) the postnatal stuff. But what Kick Bump is, if you haven't seen our announcements, is we've got pre and postnatal um, Pilates going into the app. So it's extra content on top of the program. It's not a pregnancy program per se. Um, And There's a lot of educational content on there as well. We've brought on Ashley Mason. So we've now got a physio who loves everything women's health um, and she's come on board and she's just incredible. And she worked with both Christina and Murray who are our um, 
Pilates instructors we've always had um, to make this pre and postnatal Pilates program. And it's just so nice because for me personally, and this is probably a great podcast to talk about it because it's a pregnancy one. So I'm sure there's a lot of expecting mums that might be listening in today who might not usually listen to the kick pod. But in my first trimester particularly, I was so, especially because I hadn't told many people because we were Mm. in lockdown and everything, I was so unsure as to what I should and shouldn't be doing. And I jumped on Dr. Google, I'm sure like everyone does, and there was a lot of polarising opinions Mm. online, like you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, you should do this, you should do this. And it was really hard to kind of navigate what that meant. And so I kind of, I mean, I'm really lucky. I've been someone who's been really in tune with my body for a while now. And so I kind of started to just do that. And I just peeled back my routine a little bit until I spoke to my obstetrician and and a physio and, and got a little bit more information. But really it, it's um it's funny how many different opinions there are out there and you've really just got to find the people you trust mm. also trust yourself more than anything I think that was one of the biggest lessons I learned from talking to professionals that I know they were like look you know your body if something doesn't feel right don't do it if something feels fine and normal and you're you're okay and you're not lightheaded or anything like that like there's no reason why you shouldn't like for your example Laws you're a runner you run quite often if you have a low-risk pregnancy and you're all fine and you get the clearance from your doctor, there's no reason why you shouldn't keep running. Look, you might Except not be able bladder. to get... <laughs> yeah, I'm going to wear a nappy. <laughs> you might not be able to get, you know, the pace that you're used to yeah. or the distance that you're used to, but there's no reason why you can't. Whereas someone who never runs mm. probably shouldn't bring up... I mean, start running yes. when they're pregnant. So there's little things like that which everyone agrees on, mm. but then there's other things that, yeah, there's really polarising opinions. So what we wanted to do with the Kick app was not necessarily tell people what to do and also not tell them what they can't do is in like you know we didn't want to scare anyone away from still kicking it because I continued to kick kick it and do strength exercises and yoga classes and stuff for quite a lot of my pregnancy because mm. I was able to um so it's still to empower people to keep moving their body and everything and not be scared to you know feel like they have to completely stop but then also to have those pregnancy safe options there for mm-hmm. those who want you know this is physio approved this is this is going to be good for me and my body so we are so excited for all this content to launch into the and there's app educational content as yeah. well in there yeah. too which is is super yeah important you learn i feel like you learn this stuff when you're like in health in school but you don't really think about it much yes and then when you get pregnant it's like oh yeah what's a pelvic floor again <laughs> like, yes that's important yeah. spending yeah. the pelvic floor is important and so the postnatal program mm-hmm. I suppose that is more of a program, isn't it? Because yes, you that follow one you have it to do in, in a order. row yeah. as you recover from having a baby. Yeah, and it's not it's not really like the postnatal stuff is not fully exercise. It's to prep your body to get back into yes. exercise, which is really important. The first and it's step. 100% it's the first step. And it's, it's one that I think too many women are so keen to get back into mm. their routine that they don't make that first step. And, you know, physios aren't accessible to everyone yeah. um, and not everyone has a lot of time to go and see a physio. So that's why we're really excited to have it available on the app for you guys. But, yeah, it's really exciting. Very, very, very <laughs> exciting. And Mari, our Pilates instructor, who who you would know mm. from, mm-hmm. from the Kick app, she's actually also a physio, mm. a women's mm-hmm. health specialist physio. So we've got lots of experts mm. in the app mm-hmm. to guide you every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Even if you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. It's very, very, very exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> anyway, so now for today's D&M. Alrighty, what have we got this week? All right, we have a, um, a question on low sex drive. Good question. Yeah, it is a good question because I read this and I thought, again, like we do with most of our D&Ms that we pick, so many people could probably relate. Yes. All right. 
I have been together with my boyfriend for four years now and we have a beautiful, respectful and loving relationship. We've always had great sex, but the last year or so, which is also when I switched from the pill to an IUD, I have struggled to keep up with his sex drive and have felt really guilty for not desiring him the way he desires me. He doesn't put me under any pressure. However, I see myself not enjoying or wanting sex any more than one time per week, which is very little for us. I also sometimes have pain during sex, which contributes to me not really desiring it. Is there anything you can recommend to regain any sex drive? What would you do in this situation? What a good question. It's a great question. And I want to start by saying once everyone is very, very different in their relationship, which is why it's hard sometimes to speak to other people about how often they have sex because I think everyone is so different. I think it's okay not to have a highly – it doesn't matter. Like not often will Mm. you and your partner's sex drive match exactly. But then at the same time, once a week I think would actually be quite a common amount of sex for for a lot of couples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know some people that have sex once a month and that's – they're totally happy That's with that they, and that, that works, works for them. them. Mm-hmm. And then I know some people that might have it four times a week and I'm like, that is way too much commitment. <laughs> <laughs> that is not happening at my house. Oh, my God, that's so funny. No, I, I completely agree. I think I, – I, I agree. Wow. I completely agree. I think um, you're right in saying that I think too often we probably do compare too much as in like you might talk to someone who's like, oh, my God, we barely had sex this week. We had sex like two times. And it's like, I haven't had sex all month. Like, yes, and then you might me? be thinking, well, yeah. <laughs> barely. That's a record. Um, and I, I related to this question, actually, because um, Josh has always had quite a high sex mm. drive and mine ebbs and flows. Like sometimes Same. I'm so on and then other times I'm like literally zero interest. <laughs> um, and we have actually like struggled with this in the past for sure. We've had to have many, you know, really full-on conversations where we've really broken it down and really tried to talk about it because just like you my biggest concern was him not feeling desired Mm. and it it was actually something that he felt he felt like I just didn't want him anymore Mm. and it was a lot of honest conversations had to happen and that's happened a lot over the years we've been together for now I think nine years that's the total guess I should probably know that but I think about nine years and there was points at like the four-year mark and the six-year mark and everything Mm. where we kind of had to revisit this question um turns out we just have different you know sex drives and as I said mine ebb and flows so it's like really hard to navigate um but I think when you said that you have like you know a beautiful respectful loving relationship I think obviously just keeping really open with each other and keeping that communication Mm. open and just ensuring him that he feels like loved and appreciated and desired in other ways maybe if you if you're not if you're going through a stage where it's not sex that's not what you want to do and Mm. there's other ways of making someone feel really special and everything like that so don't feel like you have to get your sex drive back to make him feel that way um also there could be something in you know you're changing from the pill to an IUD there's a lot of people who say that when they switch different pills or anything like that, their sex drive can Mm. change because of hormones and everything like that. But it might also have nothing to do with that and it might literally just be the fact that you just have a low sex drive at the moment and that happens. Um, And that's just – it is kind of what it is. It's totally okay. And I think the other thing I would say is work out when you most feel like it during the day. I think like – in with Dalton and I for early morning. And I think this is actually a scientifically proved Mm. fact Mm -hmm. that males in um, want sex more early morning, whereas the prime time for a female is later 
That's so in the day. Yeah. yeah. And that's for me. Like I, in the morning, I'm like, I'm in a rush. <laughs> Leave me alone. Got things to do. Get away from me. <laughs> um, and I also just like, oh, I just don't feel like it right now. Like I just yeah. woke up. Yeah. Um, so maybe if you kind of work out when that time is for you, speak to your partner about it yeah. and then not schedule, but like maybe make an effort to. Yeah. In those when I feel like when your sex drive is lower, um, it is important to maybe try and make an effort on, you know, yeah. if to meet your partners, yeah. not obviously every, if your partner wants every day and no, I'm not yeah. talking about that, but like yeah, yeah. every, every now and then to say, you know, I actually feel like it more in the afternoon, like yeah, maybe on the weekend. Well, like one thing I remember um, was that I felt like, you know, I, when I get into bed, I like to, like, I like to get ready and go to bed basically. Like, that's <laughs> why I'm getting like into to bed. Get ready no, no, no. Like yeah. I like to just, I, when I'm getting into bed and I've like kind of done my wind, wind, wind down process. I'm generally ready to yeah. also go to sleep. <laughs> and so like, you know, sometimes what we ran into was like, we'd both get into bed, we would brush our teeth, done all that, whatever. And then we were sitting there and this is when we were in a bad period of like scrolling through our phone for a long time before actually turning the light off. But we'd sit there scrolling, scrolling. And then I would decide to like, you know, roll over, put bed. my phone down, yeah. turn the light off. And then he would roll over and like, want to have sex with me. Oh my and God, I was like, this is Dalton too. <laughs> I was like, um, so I'm no. really tired. <laughs> I turn around and I say, you've just wasted 30 minutes scrolling. Yes. I am now ready for sleep. So too bad for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally like the exact same conversation. So I think it is It is just being open about that sort of thing. Like, yeah, um, yeah I, I, I literally have turned around at points and been like, yeah, I look, scrolling through my phone and, like, having you sitting next to me scrolling through my phone is not eternal. Yeah. That's not <laughs> foreplay. <laughs> so um, don't roll over and expect 100%. anything. Maybe we should do a whole episode on this. Sex. <laughs> also, ways to get out of it. I've yeah. got a few ways. Well, have you? <laughs> if you're not feeling it. Oh, my God. But, um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, biggest message is try not to put too much pressure on yes. it. I think, I think when you think about it too much as well and you put too much pressure on yourself um, – like that's probably not going to bring on a great sex drive yes. in yourself. Um, so just have an honest conversation with him and, yeah, try and work out other ways that you can make him feel desired because there is going to be times in your life where you have a low sex drive. Yes, exactly right. Mm. So thank you for that question. That was a great one. Um, so now for this week's episode, that's mm-hmm. why you're here for – sorry it took us so long to get here. We just really uh, – be Because we're not seeing each other every day as usual. Mm. So we're kind of saving a lot of our combos for this. No, I'm joking. We're not like only speaking 10 minutes a week, but – we're really excited to talk to yeah. each other, as as you could have listened and heard, not listened. Anyway, <laughs> probably Steffi, take it away. What is this week's episode so about? So today we are chatting to Dr. Bromman, who is um, actually our kick doctor, and we've had her on the podcast before, a couple of years ago now, speaking about fertility. Today's podcast is about pregnancy, so we talk through pregnancy mm-hmm. and we answer a lot of your common questions. We decided to come to you guys and ask, you know, what's your concerns or like, do you have questions? And there was a lot around the trimesters and blah, blah, blah. So it's literally all things pregnancy. Um, and I speak a little bit through my own experience as well throughout the podcast, but we hope that you get what you want from this podcast and you feel a little bit more maybe educated and empowered in your pregnancy and you enjoy this chat with Dr. Bronwyn. Yes. And just a quick disclaimer, we did record this one in the, oh, car. In the car. We yeah. had some bizarre circumstances going on we ended up in the car with our laptops and so sorry if the sound's not mic yeah amazing so if the, our audio isn't as good as normal mm. apologies. apologies we were in the car <laughs> welcome again to the kick pod bronwyn how are you i'm great thanks how are you guys 
very, very well. We're very excited to um, have you back. Of course, our listeners might know you from our, obviously through the Kick app, but also from our chat with you back in 2019. Was it? I know. I oh can't my <laughs> um, About fertility, which yeah. if anyone has any questions on fertility, that was a, such mm. an informative mm-hmm great chat to um go back and listen to for sure but um in a nutshell because obviously we went into a lot of detail in in that podcast in a nutshell like scientifically how does one actually become pregnant how does it work yeah it's actually quite funny because it's quite complicated um to become pregnant and relies upon (laughs) many things to line up um for pregnancy to occur Uh, And as we mentioned previously in podcasts, most women release an egg each month as part of the menstrual cycle. And that egg gets released from the ovary and heads uh, into the fallopian tube as it's swept up by some little arm-like structures called fimbriae into the tube. And then obviously a man and a woman need to have intercourse. We won't go into that in too much detail, Uh, but then sperm is sent into the uterus and the sperm uh, has to move up through the uterus into the tubes where it meets the egg. And the egg and the sperm, they're single cells, uh, which each contain half the amount of DNA uh, that's required to make a baby. And then they need to fuse. Um, and then, you know, uh, they'll combine and become a little hu- a little embryo. And that little embryo needs to then implant onto the uterine wall. And uh, there it'll start growing and also create a little placenta to help the pregnancy grow. And then about uh, about seven to eight days after that uh, ovulation occurs uh, and the sperm meets the egg, we can actually see our pregnancy hormone, what we call beta HCG, released into the blood. And then we can actually check that our beta HCG uh, hormone from your uh, blood. Actually, it, it can be checked in the urine on your urine pregnancy tests at home a few days before your period's due. So I guess that's in a nutshell it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any It questions? is funny though. Yeah. Like, um, I think it is, as you said, so many things actually have to line up for yeah, it to happen. And totally. I, I don't think I realized that, you know, we learn so much in school and everything on yeah. the basics of, um, getting pregnant, but, yeah. um, I didn't realize how actual, actually difficult mm-hmm. it can be and how many things have to go right yeah. for it to happen. That's right. It's really a miracle that we're all here. Mm. <laughs> A hundred percent. And then I suppose once you have gone through... Yeah. If you're successfully pregnant. Mm -hmm. Science. (laughs) And you're successfully pregnant. And then obviously, not speaking from experience, but uh, I have heard a lot of people obviously get morning sickness. And then I know, Steph, you had a lot of fatigue. Mm -hmm. How do you cope with it? Are there any special things or that you can do or ways or it's just something that you kind of just it's a part of it and you just have to try and find what works for you yeah look that's a really great question because it is really common uh, for women to experience either both of those symptoms nausea or fatigue or both um so it's really good to have some little uh tricks up your sleeve to cope through those Hmm. i'd say the most uh the the top tips i'd have for uh you know managing with uh your fatigue is rest as much as you can and you know say no to events you don't have to go to really you know take it easy be kind to your body and you know go to bed as early as you can don't stop till you know 11 o'clock every night watching a movie (laughs) that you don't have to watch because yeah sleep really helps with that fatigue and yeah make sure you get your iron checked as well because that can make that fatigue worse if it's low which uh, usually your doctor will do that at the start of your pregnancy check your iron levels uh, but I remember in my first pregnancy, I was 
it's, it was so tired. I, I was saying to her husband, I'm so tired, it hurts. Did you have that, you know, feeling, <laughs> Steph, in your pregnancy at the start? Not that it hurt, but yeah. I had just never experienced fatigue like that. Like, yeah. I, I felt like I had maybe gone on a I'd gone to a festival for five days and (laughs) literally danced my heart out and then I was exhausted all week from that but I hadn't actually gone to a festival that's kind of what it felt like for me like I was just so tired and a bit brain dead yeah yeah and I'd say for the nausea um definitely having more sleep helps the nausea so we find you know if you have a poor sleep one night you'll feel a lot sick the next day so sleep is really the key uh, and eat regularly and small meals. Don't have big meals. Eat regularly. You'll find if you eat every couple of hours, that'll keep your blood sugar levels really uh, stable. And having stable blood sugar really helps with your nausea. Sometimes even you'll find if you exercise, it actually makes the nausea a little bit worse because it can actually drop your blood sugars afterwards. Some people find that. Uh, but yeah, stick to the carbohydrates and really kind of simple foods like uh, pasta, bread, toast, crackers. Some people will go for the Macca's chips, whatever works, you know, whatever (laughs) gets you through, that's fine. And don't worry about, you know, eating too healthy. You just need to survive in that first trimester Um, and, you know, just do your best. I mean, obviously don't go crazy with the, you know, unhealthy food, but, you know, try your best to survive, I I say to people. And keeping hydrate is another one, hydrated is really another one that helps. And some people Mm. find they can't tolerate water very well in that first trimester when they have a lot of nausea. Um, so sometimes, you know, having lemon flavor drinks or, you know, the sports drinks that, you know, help keep your electrolytes up or hydrate, having something flavored sometimes helps you keep those fluids down. And there's also some over-the-counter remedies that you can get. So vitamin B6, uh, or ginger tablets over the counter, they're really safe and easy to use. Some people do get relief from that. And obviously if those things aren't helpful, uh, speak to a doctor about any anti-nausea meds that you might be able to take. And another one that people don't uh, realize that you can get, you can often get some, you know, bowels often don't work very well when when you're first pregnant and keeping Mm. your bowels regular really helps the nausea as well. And avoid any triggers such as odors uh, or motion that may set things off. Yeah, Yeah. I can definitely vouch for those odors. No, olive toast. Olive toast. It was so random. Um, (laughs) I love... Yeah, I love yeah. olive sourdough, but one yeah. day Josh put it in the toaster and the smell just hit me and yeah. I was like, oh, that smells, ah. oh my God, <laughs> never again. And so we literally stopped buying it oh, <laughs> because so I just couldn't handle it. Yeah. And um, also salmon for me, if I could yeah. smell salmon being yeah. cooked, I was just, yeah, that was, they were like the two things. And it's funny that yeah. you brought up exercise as well, Bronwyn, because that's kind of, I was really, really lucky. I, I didn't really st- struggle from much nausea, but yeah. when I did feel a bit lightheaded or a bit nauseous, yeah. it was generally after a pretty big workout. Yeah. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. That's right. Definitely. It's that yeah. low blood sugar. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other question that came up quite a lot, which is definitely a sensitive topic, which we mm-hmm. really did cover in quite a lot of detail in that fertility chat as well, yeah. um, is on miscarriages. Yeah. And I suppose the question is, why is it in that first trimester, um, you know, f- for the same reason why a lot of people don't really share that they're pregnant until the first trimester is over, yeah. um, because there is that risk of miscarriage more so than, uh, obviously it can happen at any point, but you know, yeah. the chances are higher. Why are the chances higher in the first trimester? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, as we touched on our last podcast, approximately one in four to one in five pregnancies sadly end in miscarriage. And miscarriage by definition is a loss of a pregnancy at less than 20 weeks. Uh, over 20 weeks, we call the loss of a baby a stillbirth. Mm-hmm. And so the majority mm-hmm. of miscarriages actually occur at about four to five weeks. And many women will actually think they just had a late period, a few days late. But if they actually checked, they may well have had a really faint positive pregnancy test, but it may not have implanted because things weren't right. And the next mm-hmm. most common time would be around that seven to eight week mark. Uh, you know, um, you know, things have just stopped growing because things aren't right. And as we know, lots of things have to go right to make a healthy baby. And it is surprising there's many of us, you know, on earth and all healthy and it is a miracle to make a healthy baby. And there are many causes of miscarriage, but the most common is that there's a faulty egg or a faulty sperm. And so there's, you know, um, altered, you know, not the right number of chromosomes in a in a in that embryo. So there's an mm-hmm. extra chromosome or a missing chromosome and that will lead to the body kind of recognizing that, that there's something not right there and then eventually it'll stop growing off and it, it's quite common to either have bleeding um, and then the miscarriage all happens at around that seven, eight week mark, or you have your dating scan at that time and then we find that the pregnancy has stopped growing because there's something not right. There are other rarer causes of miscarriage um, such as uh, medical conditions in the mum, such as thyroid issues, diabetes, um, abnormalities of the uterus, clotting problems, even polycystic ovarian syndrome can increase the risk of miscarriage. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, often it is in that first trimester. It's kind of, it's when everything's developing and, you know, um, whether those chromosomes are wrong or whether those medical conditions, you know, alter the way that pregnancy is forming. That's what often happens in that first trimester. And that's, you know, in the second trimester after say 13 weeks, so the miscarriage rate's actually really rare. Um, so we say about one in 50 pregnancies will miscarry in that second second mm. part, um, in that second trimester. Uh, and that's because those causes of the miscarriage in that second trimester are rare things. So things like mm. uh, infection uh, or issues with the mum's cervix uh, or, um, yeah, other abnormalities with the baby that we may not have picked up already. So those things are a lot rarer. So often that's why uh, second trimester miscarriage is quite unheard of. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think also one thing that I've, a lot of women go through when they're pregnant is thinking and worrying about things they're consuming and what they can't have and what they can have. And I know uh, haven't been in Steph's DMs, but I feel like there would be a lot of opinions in there. Well, I know because you've told me. And one of the um, most common questions we got asked when doing this podcast was about caffeine mm. and if you can have caffeine or not, because there's stuff online that says you can, and then there's yeah. stuff online that says absolutely not. And we've heard you speak about this before, um, and we would love, and we watch on your yeah. on your socials when, when you spoke about it, it was great. We'd love for you to kind of share your insight um, on caffeine and pregnancy? Yeah, sure. So the research about caffeine consumption was quite clear until a year ago uh, when a new study was published by Professor Jack James, which made us actually a little bit more cautious about caffeine in pregnancy, especially in the first trimester. A lot of the research in the past has kind of said that 200 up to 200 milligrams of caffeine, which is probably two really strong coffees a day, is safe. Hmm. Uh, but it's now thought that maybe it's probably better to be a little bit more cautious and maybe minimising it as much as possible in that first trimester as it may be linked with miscarriage and other pregnancy outcomes. So yeah, 
these days I'm kind of saying to my patients, have your cup of tea or, you know, have your coffee, but try and minimize it as much as you can, especially mm. in that first trimester. Don't go crazy. Don't have your chocolate cake and your cocoa and your <laughs> tea and your coffee. And, your, you know, some people, it's amazing how much coffee they actually drink um, mm. before conceiving, mm. especially. They're like, oh, yeah, I have my six cups of coffees a day. And I'm like, whoa. So, yeah, better to definitely uh, minimise it if you can. And my fear about first trimester anything is try and minimise everything that you can because we really don't know everything about, Mm. you know, everything. And we're always finding out new things about certain medications or certain um, things being linked with miscarriage uh, or cardiac Mm. abnormalities in the baby. We're finding out new things all the time. So everything that you can kind of... uh, avoid uh, in that first trimester do that because we just don't know everything and that's when all Mm -hmm. the important organs are forming in your baby Mm. yeah and I like the words like minimize and everything rather than eliminate because I feel like there is so much polarizing um so many polarizing sorry articles online um that almost scare you to just like completely avoid Avoid everything Um, at, yeah. at all costs. And, and you yeah. know, caffeine's just one of those things. There are so many other things that come up, whether it's like soft cheeses, deli meats. Um, and, you know, in conversations that I've had with my own obstetrician, um, she says, obviously, it's, it's incredibly important that you're educated and everything around those foods. But at the end of the day, it's... Um, there is a risk but it it is a low one and you just need to know like there's a difference between a super fresh you know christmas ham or whatever versus you know ham that's been in the packet of the back of the fridge for five days yeah um those sort of things and yeah yeah, i just love to know like out of those kind of common things that we're told we can't eat Mm. and that are planted all over the internet as like absolutely avoid um why i suppose why why those foods come up I suppose to talk to that yeah um but also a little bit more of it maybe can we like soften it for all the people (laughs) listening so that they're not that I struggled from anxiety I'm not someone who struggles from anxiety yeah but in that first trimester when I was reading all that stuff online I was so scared I had a ham and cheese toasty one day and I started crying and I I messaged my obstetrician straight away and I fully had a meltdown and she was like it's okay (laughs) oh my gosh yeah it is it is a really stressful time uh especially when it's your first pregnancy and yeah there's so much information out there and it's not all correct you have to be really careful where you get your information from online you can google anything and get any answer you want you want basically (laughs) and dr google we gotta love it Uh, But with regards to the things that, uh, you know, we say to avoid in pregnancy, the main ones would be the listeria risk foods. So listeria Mm. is a bacterial infection that can basically live, um, it comes from dirt and also um, loves the cold environments. So things that sit in the fridge forever, things that sit in the deli forever, you know, you've got your salami and your, you know, deli meats and soft cheeses all sitting in that cold environment because that's the temperature that the uh, bacteria thrives in and listeria can be a serious infection if you do get it in pregnancy but having said that i've seen listeria once in 14 years of Mm -hmm. doing obstetrics so it's Mm -hmm. super rare i mean it's bad when it happens don't get me wrong but it is rare Mm. but yeah be cautious Uh, You can have your deli meats if you heat them. So you can have a ham cheese toasty if you heat it to 70 (laughs) degrees. If you cook anything, so whether it's salami or smoked salmon or ham, you can actually have all of these things if you heat them to 70 degrees because that's going to kill off that bacteria. And the things like 
um, uncooked seafood, soft serve, uh, anything that's got dirt on it as well. People don't realize that, but you know, wash your fruits and veggies, your avocados mm-hmm. and cantaloupe, wash it all uh, to try and minimize any dirt being on things. Uh, wash, wash everything you can and cook everything you can and that, you know, will keep you pretty safe. But yeah, things like soft cheese, it, it, it is good to avoid because you, you know, you wouldn't forgive yourself if something did happen. But a lot of the other things you can actually get away with if you cook them. So there's not that many things really that you have to miss out on. The other things um, that we also like to avoid are the high mercury containing fish, uh, Mm -hmm. such as uh, flake. So, you know, just swap your fish to a different, a smaller fish if you're having your fish and chips. And uh, the other one that a lot of people don't know is licorice, which a lot of people don't like it. It's quite funny when I say that to my patients in clinic about licorice. Most people, 90% of people will be like, oh, I don't like it. But um, yeah, I love it. Yeah, we, really? we like our, oh, um, like, yeah. And I really? remember you posting you about go. that and I was like, damn, yeah, I kind of like it <laughs> Look, you can have a little bit and like the red licorice has hardly anything in it and that's fine. But um, but a bag of licorice a week is probably a bit much when you're pregnant. It has been associated with behavioural disorders in children, so ADHD wow. and things like that. So better to avoid that one, and it's one that a lot of people don't know, so that's one that, yeah, good to mm. keep your an eye on your intake of. And alcohol and smoking as well. They're not really food as such, but they're real, really, real big no-nos for pregnancy. Mm. Yeah, so they're the main ones to avoid. Oh, I'm sad about licorice. I'm oh, a bulk licorice consumer. Like, if I don't have, oh, yeah, you do. Uh, I'm glad I know because I feel like when I have, if I have chocolate coated licorice, yeah. the long sticks, they yeah. come in like a pack They're of five so and the good. licorice is so soft. Sorry. Yeah. You no, can't I have can't them right wait. now. But I can eat that pack yeah. in two days. And that's wow. probably excessive consumption of whatever the thing in licorice is. So you know I, will, I know me. now. I've had the, my baby. Licorice. You know what to <laughs> Some Darryl licorice bullets. <laughs> It'll be your first thing after you have your baby. So it'll be your first thing on your menu once you have the baby, some licorice. Yeah, 100% licorice. Maybe some smoke so. and other things. <laughs> and I suppose another thing um, that I think there's also a lot of misconceptions about with pregnancy and avoiding or continuing is with exercise. I know obviously being pregnant is a really, well, it's an exciting time, but especially the first trimester is very stressful Mm. because you're just trying to do everything right. Trying to learn everything. Yeah, exactly. And I I know that a lot of women just stop exercising because they're like, no, I don't want to do anything. You know, I can't get my heart rate up. Or they might have heard from someone else that their doctor told them they can't run. So they, you know, yeah. They think that's for them. So we'd love to know what do you recommend with exercise and pregnancy? Obviously, Steph's had up until you know a few yeah, weeks, a few ago, weeks ago. or your 30 week mark mm. you were very 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 active not mm. the same as before but no <laughs> quite pretty but close. still yeah still very lucky I could still be pretty active but yeah I suppose what's the general like when your patients mm. come to you and ask about exercise yeah, sure well I definitely encourage all my patients to remain as physically active as they can during pregnancy there is a lot of mixed messaging out there on the internet mm about safe exercises in pregnancy and it definitely uh, scares some women off and some people will stop completely, especially if they're really anxious in that first trimester of had a history of miscarriage. 
But what everyone needs to know is there is actually a heap of research out there that tells us exercising in pregnancy actually improves outcomes and is actually beneficial uh, for the baby uh, and the pregnancy rather than causing problems. We know it reduces things like gestational diabetes and blood pressure issues in pregnancies, um, difficult births, premature labor, uh, a condition called preeclampsia. It actually helps the baby come out in better condition as well. Uh, they've actually looked at mums who exercise regularly and the baby is more likely to come out vigorous and happy, you know, and breathing and all things like that um, once it's born because it's kind of used to those fluctuations in blood flow inside and so it's better at adjusting to the outside world because that's a really bad, big transition for the baby to make coming from inside the mum to outside uh, into the world. Um, and there may even be um, improvements in IQ, their IQ in babies born wow. to mums who are active in pregnancy. And it also may reduce back pain, uh, issues in pregnancy mm. and help your recovery after having your baby as well. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the one bit of feedback I got for sure mm. was that, you know, if you can... Because uh, obviously there is women who just don't have mm. the option. You know, they might be bedridden for a yeah. number of reasons. But um, if you can keep up with your strength and your exercise, mm. it does help a lot with um, those later stages of pregnancy, which I'm in now, um, yeah. or, you know, in the recovery process afterwards yeah. as well. So that's yeah. it's good to know. And don't get me wrong, there are some things to avoid. Like I wouldn't be going horse yeah. riding and doing contact sports yeah. and crazy things where you're going to fall over and hit your tummy and... <laughs> You know, there are some things you need to be cautious of, like your pelvic floor and your mm. abdominal wall and things like that, that you do have to modify things as you progress through your pregnancy. And so it's really good to have, you know, someone looking after that for you if you are staying uh, active, whether it's a, a women's health physio or a, a doctor who specialises in that or, you know, anyone that's looking after your pregnancy can generally give you some advice about the exercise. So you do need to modify it, but staying active is, yeah, really good for you and your baby. And uh, on that, it's, I think that's why, um, so we've only just started speaking really to the community about kick bump and we're so excited about having Ash on board as a women's health physio because it, it really was, I mean, when the more people I spoke to and it, even the likes of yourself, Bronwyn, like it is that kind of, it is individualized, obviously, mm, you know, it really right. depends on the, on the pregnancy, on the baby, yeah. but also, you know, the woman's health prior as well, what their body is used to. Um, and so, I mean, my obstetrician's advice to me was, you know, if you were working out and doing these kick workouts mm. five, six days a week, yeah. then see what you can continue with. And obviously right. just be aware of signs like if you're getting lightheaded yeah. or something feels wrong or something that's feels right. off, like yeah. that's where you back it off and you just got to kind of learn to be more in tune with yourself. But really, and someone like Laura who runs, you know, four days yeah. a week, um, right. she should be able to continue. If, obviously right. she might not be able to yeah. run as fast or as far, but like, you know, <laughs> and I just think that that's why we were so excited to implement something like kick bump because yeah. the idea isn't, you know, a, a program that's going to, just work for everyone it's really educational and empowering yeah. um, women to kind of work for themselves mm. on, on what they can and can't do and obviously yeah. have some safe options for them to follow if they want to yeah. but also just empower them to know that they really do know their body better than anyone yeah, and it's a big focus great. on pelvic floor too is definitely yeah. <laughs> building that I need, to, I need to do it because I honestly wee myself on the trampoline so I need to do <laughs> The kick program <laughs> Pilates because I need to build my pelvic floor because otherwise maybe, I will maybe be. Maybe just avoid the trampoline. I don't know if that's good for anyone. <laughs> but for little kids, maybe. I'll be wearing a pad for like my whole pregnancy. Oh, no. <laughs> 
after having the baby yeah. um, about your period. Yeah. Is there like an average amount of time that it takes usually for your period to come back um, yeah. after having the baby? That's a great question. And not many women don't realize they actually will bleed uh, after you have a baby for about four to six weeks. Everyone's a little mm. bit different how long how long that takes. But then after that, it does depend on a lot of factors, such as if you're breastfeeding. That's the main mm-hmm. one that does impact on when your period comes back. We know that if you're not breastfeeding, you'll probably get your period back within a few months after having your baby. Could be as early as four weeks, could be as early as you know 12 weeks. But if you're breastfeeding, um, because of the hormone prolactin uh, whilst you're breastfeeding that's high in your uh, bloodstream, that can actually inhibit the hormones that um, make you have your periods. So usually uh, some women will get it back still quite quickly if they're breastfeeding, but the average time for getting back your period after having a baby would be about seven months if you're breastfeeding. So it's actually Mm -hmm. quite a nice little break. You've had your pregnancy (laughs) then you've had your breastfeeding it's quite nice and then when you get it you be like, oh my goodness what is this but um yeah so if some people even won't get their period for 12 months or even longer if they're breastfeeding Mm -hmm. it just depends how often the feeds are and what their body is like as well yeah interesting Mm. didn't know that good to know that there's such a range though and obviously it's just like if they if anyone ever had any concerns or or whatever Mm. um they can always just speak to their doctor yeah that's right yeah. So now for the birth. <laughs> Spoken about pregnancy. <laughs> I'm very excited for Seth's birth. <laughs> yeah. I am going to be sleeping outside the room, though. <laughs> like a stalker. No, I feel like I'm not going to be allowed, and they'll be like, lady, get up off the floor. <laughs> You're only, like, you know, I'll give Steph her space. But I am very excited <laughs> about the birth. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about birth and labor? What yeah, happens? Sure. Because all I know is I say movies yeah. and I see the water yeah. breaking going on yeah. the floor and then contractions and then baby, but I feel like there's a few other things. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Look, it's a whole topic in itself, but basically in a nutshell, um, if you are planning on a vaginal birth, you have to go through the process of labour. And mm. the process of labour is different for everyone, but I guess uh, it's basically where your body will have contractions, which are like period pains, but a bit worse. And those contractions are usually every few minutes. And the job of those contractions, which is your uterus contracting, is to kind of push your baby down your birth canal uh, and open up your cervix. So that's the first stage of labour, basically where you'll have contractions and yeah, it opens up your cervix and pushes your baby down to hopefully then push your baby up. You need to get to 10 centimetres dilated. So the cervix is like a little gateway to your uterus and that cervix starts as a long uh, closed tube and that long closed tube has, has to actually shorten and then it has to open and dilate to 10 centimetres. Once you're 10 centimetres dilated, you can actually then hopefully start pushing your baby out and that's called the second stage of labour where you push your baby out. And that can be anywhere from a few minutes to a couple of hours where you need to be pushing your baby <laughs> out it's a bit of a process getting a human out of another human (laughs) and then there's the third stage of the 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 birth which actually gets really ignored but that's where your placenta comes out that amazing Mm. placenta that's been feeding your baby the whole of the pregnancy so there's different do people eat it oh (laughs) not many it, it, I, I feel like it's a, isn't it? A, uh, I think in some in think in some countries it's a lot more mm. common. But you know what I've heard? I've heard a lot of people actually making them into tablet form. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. Yeah, it seems to be a little bit of a trend. (laughs) There's not a lot of evidence behind it or, um, yeah, I guess it's one of those trends. But, um, yeah, you can actually encapsulate it. But some people take it home and plant it under a tree. That's kind of nice. Like, instead of just disposing of it. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I think you're so right. I think it is a forgotten part of the labour process. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, you kind of forget that after a baby, you're then also going to have another kind of birth. Right. <laughs> At least it's a lot easier than the baby coming out. And there's all different, <laughs> there's all different variations of labour. So some people break their waters first, like in the movies, mm. which only about 10% of people do. Really? Most, most people actually go into labour first and then the waters will break towards the end. Uh-huh. Or sometimes we even need to break the waters during the labour if they're not if things aren't happening and some people get induced there's lots of different you know ways that you can mm. go into labor sometimes you go into labor yourself or sometimes you get induced there's lots of different ways of being induced and lots of different um yeah ways and reasons that you need to have that happen and some people's births are easy some people's births are hard and also not not everyone goes through labor not everyone um you know, mm-hmm. has a vaginal birth, and so some people do need a cesarean section birth for um, different medical reasons as well. Yeah, and yeah. I'm glad you touched on that because I, I suppose where I wanted to finish was um, I know that a lot of people I've heard that I've spoken to that have had their baby, the one piece of advice that they passed on to me was obviously go in educated and go in knowing, um, yeah, that you can make an educated de- decision, I suppose, for yourself, but they were too set on their birth plan to the point where when things went wrong, it really stressed them out and upset them um, because they were so emotional around it not going exactly to plan. And I suppose that's the one thing I'm trying to stay really wary of and um, trying to be really open-minded with because I know how many different ways there are to give birth and for a baby to come into the world. Um, And so I suppose any words of wisdoms for expecting mums out there? Definitely. This is a massive passion of mine. There is a fair bit of stuff out there in this, in social media that's quite unrealistic in terms of what actually happens during birth. Mm. And only about 10% of first-time mums will actually have a drug-free vaginal birth. So that leaves us with 90% that you know, need some kind of pain relief or some kind of intervention to have their baby. So it's a little bit unrealistic out there. And you also need to remember... Uh, why you got pregnant in the first place it's to have a baby not to have uh, a certain type of birth Mm, and on that note I'll definitely say my tips would be to avoid a strict birth plan Uh, it's good to have preferences and kind of know where you're going you know whether it's a vaginal birth uh, you know if you're thinking pain relief things like that it's good to have some loose plans but remember we're up against mother nature the process of birth is mother nature and it doesn't always Mm. go to plan Mm. And really important to trust your health professionals and hire someone you trust or, you know, go somewhere that you, you trust um, and that that place or that person has similar values to you in terms of what you're trying to achieve for care during your pregnancy and birth. And support people are good, you know, having, you know, whether it's a husband or friend or midwife or obstetrician there that kind of knows what what you need, what you want to do and help you get through uh, your birth is, is, is really helpful. But you also have to remember at the end of the day, it's only, it's only one day. The birth is one day. It's one small, tiny mm-hmm. part of becoming a mum. And what is really important is that your baby comes out healthy, you come out healthy, that you're not traumatised by the birth, whatever happens, mm-hmm. and that you're both 
well enough to enjoy each other and have a really good start to that journey as a new mum and baby. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how the baby comes out as long as you're both well and and there's no prize for not using pain relief. There's no, you don't get a reward. The reward is your baby. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter. When when I see my women at six weeks for their postnatal check, which is a, a part of our care, no one looks any different whether they had a vaginal birth, whether they had mm. a forceps birth, whether they had a vacuum birth, whether they had a Caesar. No one looks any mm. different. Everyone looks healthy. They're looking after their baby and they're all recovering just fine. So, yeah, I think it's really important to avoid the misinformation out there. There's a lot of Instagram versus reality. Uh, <laughs> people need to be really careful and cautious what's actually portrayed out there as, uh, you know, it's not always what the norm is and... Yeah, be careful where you get your health information from and, and mm. seek seek your information from trusted sources and health professionals would be the main things. Love that. I hope yeah. I think our community, I mean everyone listening by now, they will know, as we say <laughs> a thousand times, never take health information from Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Only from who you trust. Yeah. Absolutely, exactly for right. sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for answering all those questions. Um Pleasure. from when I th- feel like they're all they're all definitely things that have popped up in my mind over the last yeah. eight months. So um, I totally understood when they were coming through from the community. I was yeah. like, I hear you. Yeah. I've, Here I've been yeah. wondering the same. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, so thank you for debunking a few myths and stuff as well. That's no good. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that chat. We'll chuck in Dr. Bronwyn's details in. We'll chuck our- it in. Just chuck it in. <laughs> chuck it. In. We will place them very nicely into our show notes for you guys. Um, and yes, as mentioned in the podcast, if you want to learn more about fertility, you can go back to our older episode with her. Uh, as we were speaking a lot about our recipes and kick bump, the kick app in general, we wanted to make mention that we have our seven day free trial, which is always available to you guys if you guys have been thinking about joining kick um, or wanting to check out what it's all about feel free to head to our website or you can find us in the app store and you get your first day your first day your first seven days free so you can just check it out see if it's for you you're not locked in we're not like a nasty gym membership locks you in forever (laughs) um and yeah we hope that you love it and if you do love it and you do join um make sure you find our private facebook community because it's a very beautiful place to be. The best place to be. The best. And oh, why don't you tell you where you can find us, even though you <laughs> probably tuned out by now and <laughs> that's okay. You can find us on Instagram at Keep It Cleaner, at Steph Claire Smith, at Laura.henshaw, and our website is www.keepitcleaner.com.au. Chat to you next week. I can't promise. Maybe anything. in labour. <laughs> but Laura will judge you next week. Bye, Bye guys. <laughs>